So shout out to any of my fellow millennial listeners right now. I am a millennial. I just turned 36 in October. Do any of you fellow listeners that happen to be millennials like me, do you remember nursery rhymes? I really think we were the last generation to really have them used on us. All of you Gen Z listeners, and I know there's a whole bunch of you that listen to me on Spotify. I want to let you know right now, you are so blessed with your slick Disney happily ever after stories. Don't at me with your BuzzFeed lists about how traumatizing Toy Story was for you where Spike rips apart all the toys or Toy Story 2 where Woody gets kidnapped. Please, please, we millennials, we truly were scarred. For those who don't know, nursery rhymes are these catchy short little songs that you know, really, when you look at them, are very sinister, deeply, deeply sinister, because they had messages that were designed to shock people into right behavior. Here, here's one. It's called Ring Around the Rosie. It goes like this. Ring around the Rosie, a pocket full of posies. Not, not sound too bad thus far, right? But here's where it goes dark. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. So this rhyme dates back to the Great Plague of London in 1665, and it was designed to teach children the symptoms and signs of the deadly bubonic plague. One of the symptoms was this rosy red ring-shaped rash that you would get on your body, which inspired the first line. And it was believed that the disease was carried by bad smells. Turns out the bad smells were just the rapidly decomposing bodies that were just scattered all over London. But but they didn't really know that back then because, you know, science wasn't great. And so they thought the disease was carried by bad smells. So they would carry in their pockets posies, fresh herbs, flowers, you know, essential oils to fellow millennials today because they felt that that would prevent the disease. And the ashes, ashes line, that's where it gets horrifying. The ashes, ashes line refers to the cremation of the bodies of those that died from the plague. Here's another one that's also awful. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? You think Mary is this really great horticulturalist, I think is the, is the word. But then it goes, with silver bells and cockle shells. Like, oh, wow, Christmas tree. No, not a Christmas tree. And pretty maids in a row. See, this rhyme is a reference to Bloody Mary, the, the queen of, I believe, Tudor. The garden refers to the growing cemeteries that were across the United Kingdom or England or, you know, one of the, Countries, I know this is awful. I should have checked this before recording. The growing cemeteries that would be filled with Protestants. The silver bells and cockle shells, those were not Christmas decorations. They were torture instruments. And the maiden was the iron maiden. Yes, of that metal band that we would preach against in the 90s, fellow millennials. And it was a a device used to behead people. These nursery rhymes were designed to train children, to give warnings and instruction to help them to modify their behavior, like how to spot an outbreak of the bubonic plague, how to keep the stench away with essential oils, and how never, ever to cross Mary Tudor. But today, these are just largely irrelevant odd songs that our parents would sing to us before we would go to sleep and then wonder why we couldn't go to sleep. 
For most of us, being a Protestant won't get us beheaded, and hopefully coronavirus is the only great plague we'll see in our lifetime, and we all know essential oils aren't helping us with that. They're just irrelevant little songs, except for one. There is one little nursery rhyme that whether you know it or not, I believe, still rings out and 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 shapes the way people behave today. And it's a song that represents how to deal with people, how to lead people. It is the poem known as Little Bo Peep. In 1805, the first year it was written, the first lines of the rhyme were, Little Bo Peep has lost her sheep and doesn't know where to find them. Leave them alone and they'll come home, bringing their tails behind them. Here's the truth that it's trying to communicate to all those that heard the poem. Here is the action it's trying to compel like all other nursery rhymes that have come before it. If your sheep leave, if they walk away, if those in your sphere get lost, leave them be. Leave them be. When they leave, don't let the little sheepfold door hit them on the way out. And if they ever want to come back, if they ever decide that they want to, they want to come home, well, they know where to find us. And too many leaders that I have met have taken this advice to heart. And I can't think of more dangerous advice to give. My name is Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Well, hi there. Welcome to The Restorationist, a podcast all about helping you increase capacity and become a better leader. But we do it with a little bit of a twist. See, this is not your typical business or leadership podcast. We are going after a very specific kind of capacity for a very specific kind of leader. I want to help you become like the people that founded the early church in the book of Acts. That's what this podcast is all about. Hey, listen, thank you so much for listening today. And if you can, if you get the chance to, I would love it if you would leave uh, this episode and, and frankly the whole podcast a star rating and and leave me a review. I read every single one and uh, that helps get the word out there about the podcast. And also if this episode or any episode it makes a difference in your life, can you let me know that it, it helps me understand what the needs of our listeners are and, and, and if you can share it with a friend or a family member. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. And I just want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I hope you had a wonderful, wonderful time with your family. I know I did. I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with Stephanie and Judah and some extended family, my mom and dad and her mom and dad, and it was just absolutely wonderful. As of this recording, we are back into our second lockdown in the city of Hamilton. In fact, our entire province as a whole. We are in southwestern Ontario, southern Ontario. We are in lockdown for the next 28 days, but most likely it's going to be extended a little bit longer. So could you do me a huge favor? I would love if you could pray for us. And by us, I mean not just me and my family or the team that I serve with or LifePoint Church, 
but could you pray for all of the United Pentecostal churches in the province of Ontario. Uh, I am a minister within the United Pentecostal Church. I know that there are many listening to this podcast that you may not be part of the UPC, uh, you're part of another apostolic organization, or you may not be an apostolic at all. Could you please pray for our churches? Pray for our leaders that we would continue to be effective, and, uh, and also for the surge of new people that we um, we started to see come when we reopened that God would help us to continue to thrive and have revival um, even as we are experiencing a lockdown. Pray that it would be lifted really soon as well. Over the next few episodes, we're going to be talking about a few things. And we're going to be talking about how to increase capacity, not in yourself, but in those you lead. And we're going to talk about how to do that. And today we're going to be focusing on one big foundational concept to leading and influencing people in a way that helps them grow. Because if you are increasing capacity, if you're listening to this episode, if you're buying some of the recommended books and you're just growing yourself and that doesn't translate into adding value to others, what's the point, right? What's the point of growing you and growing you doesn't mean that others don't grow alongside of you because the joy, and I know you know this too, the joy of growing is the honor of being able to bring others along with you on the journey. So today I want to give you the first big key to taking everything that you have learned, whether it's from this podcast or others, the books you're reading, the things God is teaching you through his word and using all that to add value to others. I want to give you the first big step to taking all the things that you have grown in in 2020 and pouring it into other people. And to borrow the words of the great leadership guru, John Maxwell, first and foremost, leadership is a people business. And as leaders, if we want to increase the capacity of those we lead, we must tend to our relationships. If you want to help people grow, the first step is tending to your relationship with them. After all, right? Leadership in ministry and in the kingdom is all about people. It's all about people. People loving God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul and all their strength, and then people loving their neighbors as themselves. Leadership in the kingdom of God is all about bringing people into harmony with Jesus and bringing people into harmony with each other so that the body of Christ can become so unified with God and with one another that it can literally reach out across the whole world. We don't make phones. We don't make sales. We don't build franchises. And we certainly don't build personal brands. We make disciples. And we build the church one relationship at a time. Everything is about people. And given the unique relationship focus of the church, we should expect the imagery of a relationship-focused leader to be unique as well. And the most dominant picture we see in the Bible of God's idea of leadership, God's picture of leadership is the shepherd right? It's the shepherd, the one who tends after the sheep. 
the prominent vocation in the life of the Bible was shepherds. And shepherds were more involved than a typical modern farmer would be in the life of their livestock. A good shepherd immersed his life into the life of the sheep that he led. And this shepherd title was so tied to God's idea of leadership that it was not just used to describe actual sheep herders, but to describe the ideal leader, whether he be a king or a priest or a prophet or she be a prophetess, right? God picked people to do other kinds of jobs, but he always went for people who were first shepherds or had all of the interpersonal qualities of a shepherd so much so that God would refer to them even in their title as a shepherd. So God would call people to be prophets, but they were first shepherds. God would call people to be priests, but they would first be shepherds. God would call people to be kings and other types of political or organizational leaders within the kingdom life of Israel. And he always, it seemed he had a knack to go for shepherds. David was a shepherd. Amos was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd because God's ideal leader is someone who is so dedicated to leading a particular group that he will immerse or she will immerse herself completely into the lives of those they are leading because that's the big thing a shepherd did. I know leaders, we have to wear so many hats, especially in modern Christian ministry. We do. There's so many demands on us, especially as we have walked through 2020, right? We've become social media marketers. We have become broadcasters. We have become video editors. And so much of modern church life has been modeled after the corporate world. We, we extract you know, business principles that you know, ideally find their, their roots in the word of God or biblical principles or just stuff that makes sense and is practical and helpful and godly and and we got to wear so many hats we got to wear like the ceo hat and make organizational design decisions and we got to build systems and we have to make management you know decisions and we got to scale our processes for growth and we got to get more people involved or else the church won't be able to grow there are so many demands placed on a modern leader and so many leadership modes that we got to throw the switch on when we're leading the church, and when we're leading the kingdom. But never forget, while you are temporarily wearing your CEO hat, you are permanently wearing your shepherd's cloak. And at no point are you or I ever excused or exempted from the calling of immersing our lives into the lives of the people that we are influencing and leading. And while we all have to, especially point leaders or or upper-level leaders in an organization like a large or a growing local church, while we all must build systems and processes that empower and release other people to lead and, and help people, the fact that we are releasing others to lead doesn't mean or doesn't exempt us from doing it ourselves. We are to multiply ourselves in the lives of other people and other leaders so that they can go out and do our work, but at no point should we remove ourselves or put ourselves at arm's length from the people that we are called to lead no matter how high up on the org chart we go or how great God blesses our group with growth. 
Gene Wilkes said this, and I loved this. You must decide whether or not you will design your life after the pattern of Jesus or design your life around the best thinking the world has to offer. Wow. The world has some amazing leadership models, very effective leadership models. They got great ideas and tremendous creativity when it comes around or comes to org design. And so we've got to choose whether we're going to live our life and design our leadership after the pattern of Jesus or around the thinking of the world. And if you're choosing the way of Jesus, if you're choosing the pattern of Jesus, you have to understand that first and foremost, you are a shepherd of people. And that means your leadership model must be all about relationships. Look at what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me, Paul. That's what he said. He said, follow me. There's such a tremendous and profound truth about leadership found in the simple phrase of that scripture. People do not follow ideas. They don't follow sermons. They don't follow processes. They don't follow brands. People follow people. People follow people. It's that simple. So what does this look like? How can you become this relationship-driven, life-of-the-sheep-immersing-style leader? What does that actually look like? I want to give you a couple of things. And if you're making notes, I want you to write down this, these two words, draw near. If you want to be the kind of leader that increases capacity in the lives of those you lead, you have to draw near to them. You look at the examples of Jesus. You can Google this later, where Jesus either would draw nigh unto people or call people to draw nigh unto him. The scripture is filled with examples of this, of Jesus closing the distance between the people he was trying to minister to and the people that were trying to receive of of him. C.S. Lewis has this beautiful quote about the ministry of Jesus and Jesus drawing near. He says, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down to the very roots and the seabed of the nature he has created. This is the example of the ultimate leader, the author and finisher of our faith, God. God descends. God becomes flesh. That's what John 1.14 says, right? We all, all of us that are spirit-filled, that are readers of Scripture, apostolics, we know John 1, John 1, 1, John 1, 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, the Word became flesh. That literally means tabernacled in a human body and dwelt among us. God moved into the neighborhood. God tabernacled His plan, His purpose, His glory himself in a human body and moved into the human neighborhood for the purposes of getting close to us. And where do we find Jesus? Where do we find Jesus when he is incarnated in flesh on earth? He is amongst the lepers. He is reaching at his hand to the unclean. 
We find him dining with sinners and calling fishermen and tax collectors and even former persecutors of the church like the Apostle Paul to himself. Jesus drew near to people. He called people to relational closeness to him, and he got close to other people. The old school idea, familiarity breeds contempt, is a garbage idea. It's garbage. It is fear-based and narcissistic. It's me-centered. It's that, you know, if I get too close, if I'm too vulnerable... If, if I get too close to the people I lead, familiarity will make them will make them filled with contempt of me. They'll take advantage of me. They'll lose respect for the ministry. That's a garbage idea. Because while some people will take advantage of you and some may betray your trust and hurt you, remember they did the very same thing to Jesus. And you're no better than him and neither am I. And also remember, for every person who you get let, you know, let get close to you only to have them burn you, there will be dozens who will have their lives transformed and changed because you are open. Drawing near means that you are honest and vulnerable with those that you lead. It means that you are willing to be human in front of them, not sinful, not flawed, not, you know, bad or things that you would have to repent over. You deal with you and you become a person who follows Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said. But it means that you're honest and that you're vulnerable. You're willing to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question. Let me pray. Let me fast. Let me read. Let me seek God. And let me, let me figure this out. It's being honest with your team when you lead a team and saying, you know what, this season that we're in is intense and I need your help. It's being, it's being vulnerable, like where Jesus would let his emotions break and would cry. We are not willing to have our heart be broken in front of people. Drawing near means that you spend time with people socially. You spend time with people socially, being together to be together. Now, here's some drawing your caveats. Draw on your caveats. These are things that are going to put boundaries around your drawing near. Number one, you're a leader at all times. You are always aware that I am taking this group of people somewhere and that somewhere is closer to Jesus. Always be aware that I'm here to add value to others, not to be served, but to serve. Number two, have boundaries. You need to have boundaries of appropriateness around you at all times. Drawing near does not mean that you are inappropriate with members of the opposite sex, especially if you have a position of power or influence. May the Me Too movement never hit the apostolic church because we have leaders, men and women, that know how to have appropriate boundaries with those that they are leading. Drawing near does not mean that you break boundaries of appropriateness in either speech or conduct with those you are leading. Having boundaries means that you understand that there are things that you will never say, things that you will never do around those that you are leading. Number three, protect your time. Do not allow yourself to be burnt out. Jesus drew near to people for the purposes of serving them and adding value to them. And then there were times where he would draw back 
so that he could renew his strength, rest, and recuperate, either by himself and with his core disciples. You do need to protect your time. You need to have something to give. And in order to have something to give, there must be a time when you are not with people, but you are growing yourself and you are growing spiritually. Next, another draw near caveat is you must create systems of care. There will come a time when you are going to need to have people help you serve those that you are leading. So you're going to have to create systems of care and not have the care of people revolve all around you. But these caveats, these caveats, these warnings, these, hey, Think about this, of be a leader at all times, have boundaries, protect your time, and create systems of care. They never exempt you of doing the work of shepherding yourself because God expects leaders to be near those they lead. Look at Ezekiel chapter 34, one through six. I'm gonna read it for you in a second. But the context of this is God is pronouncing judgment on the spiritual leaders of Israel for abandoning the people. And from this pronouncement of judgment, we find what we should be doing. Here's here's what Ezekiel wrote. He said, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all of the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. And no one was seeking or searching for them. Wow. What a pronouncement of judgment upon leadership. And out of all the details... Of this passage of scripture, we could spend a whole episode just breaking it down. But but big picture, one big thing that emerges for me as I read this, the shepherds were absent from the lives of those they led. They were absent. My friend Daniel Bernard posted this on Facebook a little while ago, and I, I wanted to read this quote to you because I thought it was so good. He said, remember that leadership boils down to influence, and you cannot separate influence from presence. If you hope to lead students, he was talking to youth pastors here, If you hope, but this applies to everybody. If you hope to lead students to Christ, start by being there for them in their life. Your presence may determine your influence more than your sermon will. Wow. The pronouncement of judgment upon the shepherds of Ezekiel is they were absent from the lives of those that they led. So do not be absent. God expects you to be present in the lives of those that you lead. And here are some high-level categories from that scripture that we can extract that we must do that they did not do in Ezekiel's passage. We must look after the spiritual and emotional needs of people. And this is something I want to draw your attention to if you lead a team. If you lead a team, it can be very easy to 
be task-oriented and task-focused. It's important, first and foremost, that you look after the spiritual and emotional needs of those that are on your team. You're not just there to fire them up, to go do a job so that the organization can grow, the group can grow, the church can grow. You need to shepherd them as much as you release them to shepherd others. Look after their spiritual and emotional needs. Check up on your leaders and see how they are doing. Number two, the big picture thing that I saw is in Ezekiel's passage, the the shepherds that were there when they were present, it was to abuse their power so that they could personally gain materially, politically from those that they led. Never abuse power or mistreat people. Leadership is an enormous responsibility. The authority that you get through leadership should never be used to enrich yourself, whether politically or financially or, or just to make yourself or your, or your life better. The authority that you get to lead is so that you can use that authority to serve and lead others well. We are never to be heavy-handed. In fact, if we're using the shepherd motif, we are, as leaders, we are under shepherds. Jesus is the great shepherd. The sheep or the people that we lead aren't ours. They don't belong to us. So we have no right to be heavy-handed, nor should we continually be reminding people of our position. Well, I'm the pastor, you've got to do this. Or I'm the student pastor, you have to do this. I'm a leader in your life. You need to submit. You need to listen to me. Yes, is is submission something that we should talk about? Yes, is submission a biblical truth? But if you continually have to tell people that they got to listen to you, if you got to continually remind people of your position, you're a dictator, not a leader. Drawing near will change that. In the kingdom of God, we don't demand that people submit. We should lead in such a way that people will willingly do what the Bible has commanded them to do, and that is obey them that rule over you. So number one, draw near. If you want to improve your relationships with people, draw near. Immerse your life in the life of those that you lead. Look after the spiritual and emotional needs of those that are underneath you. Never abuse power. Never mistreat people. And become involved socially. Come involved socially with people. I, I said I was going to talk about a few things. And the first, you know, kind of big thing was drawing near. The second thing I want to I want to leave with you is be mindful of your public leadership. Be mindful of your public leadership. Now, what do I mean by that? It's a great question. It's how you are before the crowd. Your relationship, not just with the individual, but to the group. And how you display yourself and your leadership to the broader group. Now, this is something we often don't like to talk about. We're afraid it will become, you know, too political. It will appear that, you know, we are encouraging people to become political leaders. But I think the difference, I think what makes us political is not what we do, but our intent. 
are, are we trying to selflessly serve or are we trying to drum up the votes or gain popularity so that we can enrich ourselves? And ultimately that becomes a character issue. But I think we have to understand that if you are a leader, chances are you're leading or influencing more than one person. And often you can only specifically minister to one person or one small group at a time. But at the same time that you're doing that, you're also visible to the entire group and your public leadership, the perception of you by those you lead is important. Leaders that tend only to the business, John Maxwell says, will often end up losing the people and the business. So how can I improve my leadership amongst the group so that I can have the authority and relational integrity to add value to them? You need to intentionally build relationships across a broad range of people. If you are the kind of person that's got like, I got my squad, I got my people, I got the certain types of individuals that I like to connect with. You know, there, there's, there's the cool people. There's the awkward people. I can't be with the awkward people. You're not going to be a leader. You need to build relationships across a broad range of people. That means cool and awkward. That means across socioeconomic and ethnic demographics. God's called us to lead everybody. You've got to immerse yourself in the lives of those you lead. And that means building relationships across a broad range of people. And while you may have, you know, groups or personality types or age groups that you may connect with better or may connect with more as a leader, you are to selflessly lead all those that are around you. And that means you got to build relationships across a broad range of people, even with people that are outside of your comfort zone for whatever reason, because people do not care how good you are if they don't know you and they don't know that you care. I know that's an old cliche. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We talked about it in an episode that Stephanie and I did back in December of 2020, but it is so true. It doesn't matter how technically competent you are if no one knows you. And I don't mean that in a, in a you know, beat the drum of your own brand and your own self kind of way. I'm not talking about drumming up for votes. I'm talking about you connecting with people relationally because the kingdom is built and driven by relationships. Make yourself visible in serving others. Be obviously connecting with people. I'm not talking about posting selfies of every good deed that you do. Like, that's gross. That's about you. When I say make yourself visible, I'm not talking about doing things that increase your status. I'm talking about practicing what Andy Stanley calls symbolic leadership. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. There is this myth that if I can't do this for everyone, I shouldn't do it for all. You know, if, if, if people get the idea that I'm hanging out with this person or that person, they're going to get jealous. That's, that's dumb. That, that's something people say when they don't want to be connecting to people. Because I believe that when your group, when your church, when your people see you intentionally connecting with others, here's what they see. They see my leader cares. My leader is present. My leader is with us. One of the great examples I have of this, and this is very simple, is that my mom and dad, who are the senior pastors of our church, 
or in the foyer when we were gathered together talking and connecting with people? Were they able to have a meaningful conversation with everyone? No. Oftentimes it was just a hey and in Rona season, an elbow bump. But here's what that communicated. It communicated that they were present and that they cared. That their relationship with the church body did not exist behind a pulpit, but it existed in multiple levels. This is what John Maxwell calls walking slowly through the halls. It's, it's the opportunities that a leader seizes to publicly connect with people. And while you may not be able to do that with everyone all of the time, the image of a leader, of a shepherd, amongst those that they are influencing and leading, connecting and drawing near to as many as possible, it puts up a powerful message that says, I care, I'm with you, let's do this together. Now you may be saying, Adam, how will this help me increase capacity in others? I was hoping to get a teaching technique or a communication technique. Basically, you're telling me build relationships. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That is the first step. And as Dr. Lynn Anderson says in his amazing book, They Smell Like Sheep, when leaders, when the lives of leaders are invested in the sheep, the sheep come to know and trust their voice. How does this help you increase capacity in the lives of those you lead? It helps people to know and to trust your voice. And when people come to know and come to trust you, it creates an openness, an openness for growth, an openness for vision, an openness to God an openness to the opportunity that they can change or that they must change, and an opportunity to have crucial conversations. And your example that comes through the immersing of your open and vulnerable life amongst them compels them to become involved in the mission. Now, remember that Bo Peep poem at the beginning? Well, in 1870, two more verses were added to the song that completely changed the message. And it gets a little dark, like all of the other poems at the beginning that we read, you know, the Ring Around the Rosie and the, you know, Silver Bells and all that kind of stuff. But the message is so dramatically altered that the message of leave your people alone, they know where to find you when they come back, completely changes. Here's what it says. Little Bo Peep fell fast asleep and dreamt she heard them, that's her sheep, bleating. But when she awoke, she found it a joke, for they were all still fleeting. Then up she took her little crook, determined for to find them. She found them indeed, but it made her heart bleed, for they left their tails behind them. It happened one day as Bo Peep did stray into a meadow hard by. There she espied their tails side by side, all hung on a tree to dry. She heaved a sigh and wiped her eye, and over the hillhocks went rambling, and tried what she could as a shepherdess should. Here we find the message completely changing that leaving the sheep on their own did not give them opportunity to come to their own senses, but it left them in mortal danger. 
she found the tails of the sheep that in the first stanza were supposed to come wagging back, you know, back home. They're now hanging on a tree to dry. A predator has found them and has docked their tails or cut off their tails. They're now damaged. Now they're now hurt. They're now bleeding. And so now she's off trying to find her sheep as a shepherdess should. The message completely changes. It says, don't leave people on their own, but when they leave, go after them. Hear me. The people you lead need you. They need you to be present. They need you to be near. They need you to be involved with them. So many of us right now are still reeling from the impact and effects of COVID-19. If all you have is Sunday, if all you have is a live performance of a worship team and your public sermon, you're missing the point of church. And that is to build relationships with people so that they can come to know God and they can come to be in right relationship with one another. You've got to find a way. And I know this is an overused word for 2020. Now that we're in 2021, many people want to stop using it, but you you got to find a way to pivot. You got to find a way to change what you do and stay connected to people. Growing others and helping them increase their capacity first requires that you and I tend to our relationships. I want to challenge you. Start by drawing near. If you want to help people grow, start by getting close to them and be mindful of your public leadership with that larger group. In the next few episodes, we're going to hit a couple more topics that will help you increase the capacity of the people that you are influencing and leading. If this episode has helped you at all, please make sure you subscribe. And number two, share this with someone that you know. And if you'd like, I'd be honored if you'd leave me a star rating and a review on your favorite podcast app. I'm praying for you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.